0: Welcome to Episode 3 of the Stageworthy Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. On Stageworthy, I interview people who make theatre, from actors to directors to playwrights to stage managers and more. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use, and consider leaving a comment or rating. This week, Tom McGee joins me. Tom is the co-founder and associate artistic director of Theatre Brouhaha, a dramaturg, puppeteer, playwright, and producer, as well as the creator and artistic director of Shaky Shake and Friends Puppet Shakespeare Company. I guess the first question and it's sort of like it's sort of some people find it like an out of left field question mm-hmm. when i've asked it why theater
1: why theater um i, I this is a question i think I, end up thinking, I think anyone who does theater ends up thinking about this a lot particularly when the bills come in and then for all it's <laughs> sad and full months but um i think it, for me um it, it boils down to almost a stylistic thing but i'm a huge fan of experience and i think one of the few things that theater can offer right now that Film and television, like I'm a huge video gamer. I'm a huge, mm-hmm. like I love consuming media. And each each of those things gives you its own experience. What theater can offer that a lot of those things can't is a very full, immersive experience. Not necessarily immersive in a, you know, uh, murder mystery or Sleep No More yeah. or dinner theater way, but immersive in that um, there's a there's just a different vibe to the event of going to theater. And sometimes that's good, sometimes it's bad. Uh, I know a lot of people are scared by the idea of oh, if I'm going to the theater, that's going to be my whole night. Like I've got to dress up, and you know, it's we've got tickets to Mervish, so mm-hmm. we're you know we're going to get there at seven, make sure we get our seats. You're like, you know, and those, your seats are going to be there. There's a number yeah. on the thing. Exactly. You could, but oh man, yeah. look, we got to yeah. get like this is a thing, yeah. you know. People wear yeah. top hats.
0: Well, I was an usher. There, you'd have those oh, people who are they're, like they're... waiting outside of the Edmure's Theater, and the doors open. They're like, oh, I got to get my seat. God, and you're so like, just, crazy. Just hold on, because we haven't even opened the theater door yet. This is just the lobby.
1: Yeah, uh, relax and, a little. But I th- and, uh, yeah, it's exactly that, door. It's it's this. <clears> some people view it as this big grand event, it's like going to the opera. Or something mm-hmm. where they, it's not just oh, look' there's a performance. I'm going to go see it. No, it's opera night. Yeah. Um, and so I think that turns some people off. But the flip side of that is there's something really fun about if you see a fist fight on a stage, you're there and you're feeling like the, you can see, it, you smell the sweat, yeah. you know, your, your adrenaline gets going. And that's pretty neat. And you can control the whole audience experience from the minute they come in the door to the minute they leave in yeah. a really interesting way that builds it beyond just the content So I think that's what it is in a shows. It's
0: interesting you say that because you're thinking about the way that we consume media is everything else is kind of passive. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm playing a video game, I'm sitting back in my chair, um, my eyes may glaze glaze over a bit, my mouth hangs open. Um, I'm not really engaged. uh, And same thing with a movie. I can watch a movie on my TV or I go to the movie theater and it's not... There's something that's passive about watching Mm -hmm. that, but live theater is always so... Um, there's people on that stage breathing, which makes it more... Uh, definitely more engaging. Like, when you see a fight, a well-done fight mm. in a live theater, people gasp. And I've never heard anybody gasp in a movie.
1: For sure. Well, and and it's special effects as well, right? Like, a good, mm. a good stage stabbing can bring the house down. Yeah. But good yeah. film stabbing, you're like, well, there's infinite ways. Yeah. I remember um, I went and saw... The Illusionist, um, and the, the movie The Illusionist, mm-hmm. and I had heard that they were using all practicals for the for tricks, right. I was like, oh, that's going to be great, and I went, and it was all CG, and I was like, what the hell? Yeah. Because it just drained all magic there could have been out of, like, look, I'm doing these illusions to, how's he making that tree grow? Because someone on a computer yeah. made it grow. Like, of it, course, it yeah. right out. Whereas I saw a guy pull him, it was a production of um, uh, I Am My Own Wife, it's a one-person show, mm-hmm. The only set was like this small side table, and uh, the actor just pulled a sheet of paper out of seemingly out of nowhere, but right. clearly there's just a, like a, a hidden slot. Yeah, and I, I gasped. Like, yeah, I was of course. So yeah, so into it, yeah. and it was insane. It was this like a perfectly simple thing, but that's that's the kind of thing a live experience can bring you um, that I think a lot of things can't. And so for my for my money, that's sort of why certain stories are better mm. suited for a stage. Similarly, yeah. certain stories are much better suited. For film and television, and I think one of the challenges to content creators now is to make sure you're telling your your story or you're creating your experience in the right medium. Uh, something like Jessica Jones mm-hmm. works much better as a TV show than it would as a film. You yeah, can't really flesh well, that
0: out. You can't like you. Nobody's going to sit through a ten hour ten hour film or oh, a thirteen exactly. hour film, but
1: but weirdly we'll sit through thirteen hours of Netflix. And, like, I watched, like yeah yeah uh, uh, of course yeah, yeah we all did. But, but it's a different. It's, it's a different experience. Yeah. It's a much more passive experience. I yeah. can check my phone. Yeah. I can pause it. I have complete control over yeah. it. I took a friend of mine who his first play uh, years and years and years ago. We sat in the front row. He'd never been to the theater before. And so we were about you know, four meters from the actors or whatever. And um, I kept looking over and it looked like he was having a terrible time. Mm. He was just like, super tense. Afterwards, I was like, so did you hate the play? Like, what was going on? He's like, well, I didn't want to distract him by like moving my head. <laughs> so he literally was just <laughs> tracking them his eyes like a portrait in a Scooby-Doo yeah. show. Mm. Uh, and I thought that was so crazy. But again, that's uh, to your point. That's, that's the thing. That thing about like, liveness where it's just, you know, yeah. I'm aware that there are people doing things. It's like a nudity on stage yeah. makes us all get really uncomfortable. In, in a way it, it that, that does it, it doesn't in, in film. Exactly. In
0: film, it's like, oh, the person took their clothes off. Fifty shades of grey. Yeah, like, yeah. whatever. Somebody tooks their, takes their shirt off in, on stage, and you're like, really well, shifting. Too,
1: even if it's like their back is to you, like if a woman takes her top off and her back is to us, we're still like, Whoa, but you know because
0: in the room, yeah, with exactly. Us. It's, you're, it's yeah. like it's like on film, you know that it's been like staged in such a way. Sure. That they take, they think take, this person could turn, and then we'll all see it. It's like it's yeah. crazy, crazy, Absolutely. crazy vulnerable.
1: Yeah, for sure, yeah. and. And really, an interesting gut check for us because we, you know, we speak a lot about how jaded we are. You know, the age of the internet—we've mm-hmm. seen it all, we've done it all. But yeah, like I, I not only do I get uncomfortable, but I, I become acutely aware of everyone around me. Yeah. In a theater, when I see nudity in a way, a gentleman film. And no, film of course. Generally yeah. speaking, like no one cares. It's a yeah. dark room. Um, fine, but in a theater, suddenly it's like, oh man. Like,
0: we're all, are, we're are, all, like, like And fear, also, like, like, you
1: don't, you don't want to show your hand too you much. It's like, if I'm, like, really turned on to what's happening, i am like, I don't want these people to know. No, of
0: course not. They're all, uh, like, you've got to see them in
1: intermission. Yeah, right? Like, you know, we've got to have bathroom banter. Yeah. I can't handle that. No. So, it's, it's a different, it's a, an entirely different dimension. And, it, you know, it's funny, it's easy to forget, because the other day I was thinking about this, because we, um, my okay. uh, writing partner, Kat, and I were doing a TEDx talk, mm-hmm. and one of the questions was, why theater? And I was having a really like bad theater month, so I was just really mad about theater. And I was like, "Yeah, why theater? Yeah. Why the hell are we doing this?" Yeah. And it was that unpacking of like, "Well, wait a minute. What what is it that actually hits us that we couldn't do in film and television, couldn't do in any other medium?" And it, yeah, it's those yeah. sorts of things, which obviously aren't going to apply to every play. I mean, yeah. You know, the nudity angle doesn't really enter my puppet stuff. Before. No, of course not. Of course but not. But yeah. there's again, there's different dimensions to that that are are only exist in in lightness. So yeah. yeah.
0: When you're talking about having a bad theater month, is it a bad theater in general or a bad theater in Toronto kind of month? Uh, it... it
1: was it, it was a combination of things and what i what I realized was I had um, i'm I, i'm very and I'm, I'm trying to get better at this this year, but like i'm very, very bad at setting aside time for just doing things I want to do because generally speaking. It's all, I always find it much easier to fix other it's a, it's a dramaturge problem but like I always find it much easier to fix other people's <coughs> stuff mm-hmm. than to sit down and generate my own yeah and because I I kind of play Vizier to a bunch of different companies um <laughs> this is Cartoon Geek, Theater Vizier Um, but, uh, because I do that for so many companies, invariably I will sideline projects that I'm interested Mm -hmm. in, whether they're, uh, like I run a podcast or a blog, both of which have been an actor for a long time, but are coming back, but because, uh, I get tied up in all these other projects. So I just hit a point where I wasn't providing myself with the satisfaction that I need creatively just for me. I was like, I was very satisfied with the work I was doing for other people, but the work for me just wasn't there. And also financially, it was just like a weird... Ironically, a lull between a bunch of things that ended up paying fairly decently mm-hmm. for theater. But it was just at this lull where... <laughs> yeah, it was also just kind of a transitional time of life. Um, yeah. And I was just... Uh, yeah. It, it, it wasn't anything specific. Yeah. it was just feeling down on the whole endeavor. And yeah. certainly not on anyone else pursuing it or anything else. I was just sitting there going, like, why? Why am I doing this? This is a huge... yeah, Like
0: i think we've all gotten there of course uh, you know several times a week sometimes depending (laughs) on depending on how you're doing um do you remember what your first theater experience was what made you want to do theater
1: my first theater experience i I was really lucky because i got to see a bunch of stuff when i was very very young um and uh, my mom used to take me to the uh, I grew up in Mississauga and the Mississauga library had like these storytelling hours so mm-hmm. I think that was probably my first mm-hmm. sort of brush with the I- I- idea of uh, of Latinx. and there was some I, we had some really good touring productions to uh, our school there's one and I've been trying to track this kid's book down but it's this beautiful Inuit myth I think it was based around Sedna the lady who ends up like at the bottom of the ocean and she can't comb her hair so she like drags Mariners it's mm-hmm. great like, which story it's, yeah, was fantastic. And as a kid, I was just like, wow, like, that's, that's awesome. Like, that's really neat. But it, what's weird is my brain didn't immediately go like, oh, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. It's just this is really enjoyable. I, I, I blasted mm-hmm. this. What turned me on to theater, I think, uh, for myself was uh, my friend so I used to you know, play superheroes. Yeah. Uh, you know We started out originally with like, Ghostbusters and Ninja Turtles, and then it was Batman, and then Spider-Man and the X-Men and so on and so forth. And what I realized was I hit a point where I wanted to keep doing that and they all mm. had kind of outgrown it. Right. Um, and uh, same thing with like, uh, like I had, a t- I was an only child so I played with a lot of action figures and I'd tell these huge epic sweeping stories with my action figures and I was into action figures much longer mm-hmm. than, uh, than my friends. And so there started to be that little tick in the back of my brain that was like, I like becoming these other people. I like creating these stories. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's actually a profession where you do that, and I'd written it in high school, I'd written it off as, uh, you know, I was doing improv a lot, and I, I was doing Sears Festival, and all those fun things you do in an Ontario high school, you're in a theatre, uh, but I've been like, no, like when I go to university, like I was looking into journalism, uh, because my, my parents both come from journalistic backgrounds, I was looking into uh, psychology, until I found out you need math, and then I was like, <laughs> no, bye. Um... And uh, it's really funny, because I was sitting in a careers class, and I had done this big, it was a bunch of different presentations on journalism, because I was like, okay, that's going to be my jam, I'll go to Carlton, you know, do the whole journalism thing. And my friend gets up, and she's like, so, I'm a woman and I just did some work on Mutant X, which was an ill-fated, short-lived, vaguely associated with the Marvel Universe, but not really show that shot in Toronto a long time ago. And I was like, what? What? You can, you can do that right now? <laughs> and, it was, it was really and she was lovely. Like, but it was one of those weird things where I was just like, "Screw that! You can do it. I, I can do it. Uh-huh, yeah, let's, uh-huh. let's go." Yeah. Um, and that, and it was literally that. And that was the mm. the, the shift um, for me. And yeah, I, I think it was also just a combination of consuming so much media. You just invariably gets that point. You're like, oh man, you know, I'd like to see a story about. This, yeah, yeah. Why don't I see enough of this anymore? Because um, the, the the roots of shaky shake were certainly. Me going like, I miss things like Wishbone. Where's my Wishbone?
0: Well, let's talk about Shaky Shaky sure, Friends. Sure, yeah. Um, what, was, what was it that made you want to create Shakespeare for kids with puppets?
1: Well, the <laughs> short answer is my desire to own a Muppet and needing to justify the purchase, which is yeah. where it started. Funny
0: <laughs> enough, I have a Muppet I myself, oh, yes, but right. I, I I always just thought, I just wanted the fucking Muppet. Yep. But also good to be able to have the justification, too, because well, you do have to sometimes come clean with some people. It's well, my, you know.
1: And, and it was exactly that. So uh, my wife and I were in New York, and we were watching David Schwartz, uh-huh. and had a, that big fucking sign that was, like, build your own Muppet. Yes. And I was like, no. And I, there, I, there's no possible way that that's a thing you could do. I was I was a skeptic until it was in my hands. Of course, yeah. It's been like, bullshit. Yeah. Nothing yeah. is this cool. You can't be this cool. Um, but sure enough, they had to build their own Muppet thing, so, uh, we were traveling with my parents, so, and my dad is a very practical traveler, he travels a lot, so it's very, like, mm-hmm. getting across, you getting through customs, this, you do this, and I was like, oh god, how are we gonna get these damn Muppets through, um, so I had that in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, well, like, I don't know, I wanna buy these things, this is a big dumb thing to try and bring back, with us. and, uh, my wife Megan sat, sat, about making hers, and she basically made her, like, inner child slash clown, And I don't have a clown, per se, and my inner child is basically just me. So I was messing around with them, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to make. And then I noticed that they had this smoking jacket, this, like, velvet smoking Mm -hmm, jacket. mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, man, I'm never going to find a velvet smoking jacket in puppet size ever again. So I put that, and um, if if you haven't gone through the process, uh, those of you listening at home you basically get a um, like a laminated sheet with stickers, and you basically just mess around with the stickers and its eyes and noses and everything else. And then they take it away to their very complicated workshop, which is just a guy furious, glue gunning under a table. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, we're going to make this big thing for you. Yeah. Um, but uh, so once I found the smoking jacket, then I started messing around with um, sort of like the goatee, like the you know the mustache goatee, and I was like, I'll make a butler. I was like, I could make Alfred. And then I was like, oh, shit, it's Shakespeare. Uh-huh. And that was kind of... That was uh, that's where it all kind of clicked for me. Cause so I was like, wait a minute, if I make Shakespeare, then we could do puppet Shakespeare stuff. And I was like, so A, this helps justify buying this thing. Mm-hmm. B, it's a much easier sell to my dad. To be like, <laughs> hey, Dad, look, we're doing puppet Shakespeare. So we made uh, Shakes and uh, Zip. Originally, uh, here's a fun fact. Originally, Shakespeare and was named Mumfrey because the idea was he was going to be playing Shakespeare. Okay. Uh, and my friend has a, a longstanding, uh, long suffering butler character named Henry H- H- Mumfrey. So I was like, oh yeah, Mumfrey. But anyway, and then I was like, no, 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 it's just Shakespeare, and that'll be his thing. So we get these things back to the Airbnb we're staying at. My dad, who's in communications and, and such, which I am as well, So picks up and starts next week, he's like, oh, these are great. Look how most these are. And I'm like, yeah, we're going to do Muppet Shakespeare. He's like, that's great. You can't do that with just two. Why don't you go buy more? He's like, yes! And the next day, we're like stride into the ocean. <laughs> and we're like, sir, we're taking two more. And the guy's like, hey, I'm really sorry. The good news and bad news, we, sh- we broke even yesterday. So the cheaper today... But I'm sorry, I had to pay more yesterday. And we're like, well, I mean, I, I guess it's out. But he's yeah. so apologetic. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, then, then we had four, and the funny thing is, we get them back, and I was pretty much happy to just sit on these puppets and be like, no, we have Muppets. Yeah. My wife's was like, uh, the fringe deadline's coming. She's like, uh, hey, should we uh, should we put in for shaky shape? And I'm like, yeah, I guess we have to. And she's like, no, seriously, we, we bought these puppets to do a show. We should submit to a show. So that was the the, the genesis of like the initial seed. But for me beyond that once I started writing it and really working the process was um, I, I love Wishbone and I love uh, The Muppet Christmas Carol mm-hmm. and uh, to a last extent Muppet Treasure Island which I really enjoy but like Christmas Carol is just one of those films that gutted me like it's yeah. just <clears throat> there and um, what I love about what I love about Wishbone is that they would tell classic stories honestly like at the end of Joan of Arc she burns Mm -hmm. and Wishbone never died but like uh, Tale of Two Cities his pal goes to the guillotine like they they really ran those stories properly and as a kid I really appreciated that because um, A when I later re-encountered those stories I was like oh yeah I saw that on Wishbone Um, and I mean that goes you know for uh, the original (coughs) Looney Tunes goes for Animaniacs the Simpsons Mm -hmm. all these, these things that are like these pastiches of uh, pop culture and, and yeah. classic stories but it meant that I had proper grounding and um, so I really respected that and liked that um, and then looking to uh, the Muppet model uh, from Muppet Christmas Carol the original idea I had was like okay so I've got Shakespeare and we've got this little boy so I started thinking about the Troy McClure little Billy thing from The Simpsons where it's like gee Mr. McClure like, what about this? Yeah, and I love one of the things I think was a master stroke in the Christmas Carol was using Gonzo and Rizzo as Dickens and Rizzo yeah. to narrate the piece. Cause it just meant that anytime they needed to comment on it or explain it or further clarify, mm-hmm. it, they could. Yeah. Um, and so that's really where the, the heart of, of the shaky shake model came from was this idea that Shakespeare will tell the story, but the audience is represented as this kid who can interject and ask for clarification. Right. Um, and so on and so forth. And, um, in terms of why I tell Shakespeare stories with Muppets for kids in the first place, uh, so many of my friends hate Shakespeare. Just oh, fuck, I it. know, I, I know,
0: and that's one of my frustrations generally, and I think it has to do with the way that they encountered Shakespeare. Exactly,
1: and that's what I started to think about, was like, well, I started thinking, about, yeah, the why? So many of my friends are like, I'll come see it because you're in it, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to hate this show. Yeah. But yeah, I'm excited for you, and you're like, yeah, oh, great, this is going to be fun. Um, so I started thinking about like, why why would you hate Shakespeare so much? And for me, like my mom told me so many of these stories when I was a kid. I yeah. Had the the Lamb book that was like the um, it, it was, uh, the writer went through and basically made uh, prose story versions. Okay. of Shakespeare's work, and there's a lot of editing, like. Gloucester just isn't in, Lear, which is kind of weird because it's just this, like, random asshole Edmund running around causing <laughs> trouble, as, as you do, I guess. Uh, but that was great. Or, you know, things like Wishbone, mm-hmm. or, all, or all these things. So, like, I had a grounding in a lot of these stories. I already liked the stories, and I liked the characters. So when I encountered it in school, it wasn't my first exposure, whereas right. like a lot of people, their first exposure is being handed the book and basically... To either read it out loud, which is oh my god, awful yeah, that's do. a horrible thing to like, do. It's, it's great, like, Shakespeare should be heard, absolutely, yes, but it
0: just, should be heard just, by people who speak it well yeah,
1: because it's and also, like, you know, you're there's all the high school stresses of, of being exposed and, reading mm-hmm. aloud and everything else with language that's difficult, yeah, with characters. Don't I mean, um, so the other thing that clued me into this was I hate Catcher in the Rye, that is fucking low that book, and it's because the first time I encountered it was in a high school setting. My teacher, with the best intentions, was like here's this book, uh, we're going to study it, and one of the first things we did was put, go home, re- like, read a chapter to chapter, and then mark on a map where Holden Caulfield's going. Which was an interesting, like, it's an interesting way to examine, like, that mm-hmm. character's adventure. But I just, it was, uh, I, I took such a analytical approach to it that I just hated it. I hated him, I hated yeah. the themes, I was like, this book is garbage, everything about it's terrible. And then in university, I ran into, uh, a good friend of mine was like, no, no, that's my, like, that's my foundational point, huh. like bury me with that book. Like,
0: I have a similar irrational response to Lord of the Flies.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's, I
0: think, the other book that people do in, in are introduced to in high school sure. and absolutely despise. Well, it's like, it. the, yeah, like
1: Lord of the Flies, the chrysalids, yeah. the giver, like there's all these, there's like a whole bag of books that you can either have a really vitriolic response yeah. to, or like, I, we didn't study Lord of the Flies at all, so like my first encounter was on my own terms. Of unless, course, like, yeah. And it was good but i thinking about shakespeare in those terms and i'm like well yeah because the first time i was in an english class and uh my good friend of mine in high school was tone deaf as the days long which was always hilarious uh but he were playing the, the fool and Lear. we were reading Lear aloud mm-hmm. and it was a past the book right kind of thing and watching my poor friend just try and do the fool's songs yes yeah and, and like it, it was funny i mean he he was a natural clown so like he sold it anyway and everyone had a good time but just that idea of, like, yeah, if that's your first encounter with Lear, not watching, you know, someone's soul be ripped out because of their hubris and, you know, all the things, but a bunch of kids who are worried about everything under the sun yeah. try and choke their way through archaic language, of course you're going to fucking hate it. Yeah. Um, so my goal was, and I, I've said this in a few press releases, but, like, our goal was to, to get to kids, like, sneak Shakespeare in before someone Of learns. course, yeah. Um, and. To just give them give them the proper stories of so death and all because mm-hmm. I think it's vital that you don't come out of Romeo and Juliet going well they survive though. Yes, um, yeah. Because I mean, I still I still remember how traumatic finding out what the actual ending of uh, the Little Mermaid was. And, yes, yeah. You know, I was like, yeah. what? And I was really disturbed. I was like, really upset. Yeah. I was like, oh my god, like, but Prince Eric shows up. It's fine. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. So anyway, so that was that was the idea, and um, I just really wanted, even if. I've had parents be like this is really complicated for for kids uh, particularly with Hamlet which we just did there's a lot going on uh, Midsummer Night's Dream it's funny cause kids love mid Night's Dream everyone loves mid Night's Dream it's a complicated damn play it is a complicated uh, play there's no like trying to pare that thing down to basic plot it's still crazy you have to deal yep. with like Titania and Oberon fighting over a changeling boy like yeah, bonkers no. yeah uh, but anyway uh, so you know they're like well for example Hamlet they're like that's a pretty heavy story and you know uh, it was a little above their heads, I think, and I was like, "Well, here's why, though, because I'm not. I, weirdly, I, I don't want your your kids to necessarily get all of it right now or understand all of it, be able to follow all of it right now. What I do want is five, ten years from now, when they're when Hamlet hits them, for them to be like, oh, that was the blue guy.' Like, yeah, you know, I saw a yeah. play about this once, and just just already have a little bit of that basic familiarity, yeah. so it isn't, and hopefully have enjoyed it at one time, so it doesn't."
0: Did you actually find that it was over the kids' heads, like the kids in the audience, or did you find that the parents thought it was over uh, their heads, but the kids uh, responded to it?
1: A little of both. Um, I've had... Uh, kids Fringe is an interesting... Uh, Fringe is, rather, is it an interesting beast because there are... Um, and this is true of any children's thing, I think, but there are recommended age ranges, mm-hmm. but because it's a puppet piece, Right. people bring kids, very young kids. Yes. Uh, and really, like... Uh, and it's partially because <clears throat> as a kid... I like to reach a bit. And, uh, you know, I, I, I wrote a political farce when I was like in grade four because I was watching a lot of air farce. And mm-hmm. it was literally just me asking my parents, like, who's that? Why is that funny? Okay, who's Sheila Cops? Why is she funny? Yeah. Okay, what's with the Block Québécois? Like, there seems to be, and so on and so forth. And I th- honestly, I, I enjoy that idea of kids and parents getting to actually discuss. We can't in the theater, obviously, but yeah, afterwards. Um, so what's weird is I kind of write for a slightly older group. Really, my, my stuff is. Perfect for teenagers. And mm-hmm. They just—they can't like teenage camp counselors come up to me after any show we do and are like, "Can can you come to my school?" <laughs> but of course, if you just pitched it to them, they be like, "Oh my god." Yes, of course. It's yeah. Shakespeare with puppets. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. If they don't sparkle in sunlight, I don't care. That's <laughs> yeah. A dated reference that. Anyway, um, so. Uh, we get a really wide range of responses um, that being said some, some very very little ones have just been captivated by the fact that they're all puppets they're puppets yeah and that the energy's up and it's you know it's, it's fun um, we've had some smaller kids who don't necessarily get but it's Shakespeare right so it, it and one of the things that we try and focus on is making sure our text <laughs> words is sound as well like it's you know yeah. we, um, I change a lot of words we have a lot of fun it's very up but I also I think we we take a lot of liberty with just Jamming Shakespeare into things a lot, and we don't always necessarily a- apply technique to Shakespeare that ought to be done to make Shakespeare clear and sing. It's like, oh well, you know, I'm using Shakespeare in this funny thing, so whatever. I don't need to do the text work. Yeah. I don't, you know. Blah. Um, and I think particularly for what we're doing, that really kills it because yeah. it needs to be understandable. It's not enough just have some vomit up to be or not to be and just wave at the kids. And yeah, of and course. Cross it yeah. In. Um. But no, I, I find, uh, again, there are intricacies to stories that I remember encountering as a kid that I didn't get, but I still enjoyed them. And then later I go back and watch... I mean, think about anything you've, you've seen as yeah. a kid. You go back later and you're like, oh man, I missed a lot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, I, Christmas Carol. Like, I watch Christmas Carol every year now and there's still bits in that film that I'm like, oh man, I never noticed this. Yeah. Um, which is great. Um, but that's all... I think that's all part of sort of having a lifetime relationship with any work, mm-hmm. whether it's Shakespeare or Dickens or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so no, I find, I find kids generally get it. The thing too, that I try and do as much as possible is break character enough. because there's a meta narrative of the, like our, our style for, for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, Shakey shaky shake is that we, um, we have the, the puppets themselves are characters and then they put on the play. Right. Um, and by doing so it allows us to break out and comment and um, recently we've been experimenting with things like Shakespeare will forget because he wrote it 400 years ago so they'd be like oh look I don't know this next part you tell me Right. Um, so I think generally speaking for kids even if they aren't if they couldn't tell you the plot of Midsummer Night's Dream mm-hmm. after seeing it they still had the experience and they still be like oh it's really funny and there's like fairies and yeah. there's a donkey guy and he gets changed into one and changes his back and like it all works out yeah there's lots of hijinks and I think that's fine I think yeah. you know like I've, I've heard adults describe Shakespeare pieces coming out of Stratford like that yes yeah, Where, yeah. I it's like oh yeah. man it's this guy and like his uncle like told his father and like there's a ghost I don't know what it's called but it was really cool yeah so yeah. Um, the flip side of that is I had a parent slam me slam me she was very polite about it but of course it's a touchy like, oh. of course yeah um, after Romeo and Juliet which was their first piece saying like you you could have kept more of, of the language in the poetry she's like I don't think you need to talk down to kids as much as you me think you do uh, you know their, <clears throat> I, her exact words was something effective like their little ears are open if you just like mm. let them uh which is a fair criticism but the flip side of that was Romeo and Juliet ha- has those big beautiful speeches and big beautiful exchanges a lot of it's not great for the ear now. Like, it doesn't, it's not as poetic throughout as I think a lot of people remember. Because they remember the, basically the sonnet chunks. Yes. But there's big chunks. Like, the thing opens with a joke about Maidenhead. Like, yeah. the second fucking line of the play. So it's one of those things where I was like, yeah, like, I get it. I, I think kids can, can hear Shakespeare just fine. It's yeah. just, pick the Shakespeare. Because the other thing is, I don't want to just dump a bucket of, do you understand this? Work hard No, of course, this. yeah. Yeah. Um, so, all I'm going to say, I think kids get what I hope, what I want them to get out of it, which is a fun first exposure. Um, we usually end with a song, so there's kind of an uptick. Yeah. So, that, you know, it's like ending with jazz hands. Even if you didn't necessarily get all of it, you had a fun time. Yeah. There's yep. enough pop culture references to kind of keep you in it. Mm-hmm. And also to entertain the parents, because the, the big difference between uh, theater for young audiences and film or television for young audiences is parents have to be in the room. Of course, others. Yeah. And I remember as a kid, like if there was a show that I knew my parents hated, I wouldn't watch it if they were in the room because I was aware that you know they. They hated, hated it. it, yeah. Um, so much like Looney Tunes, um, certainly the Muppets, mm-hmm. Animaniacs, any of those things, try and keep enough content for the adults so that you know they're having a good time as Absolutely, well. Absolutely, yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. So funny thing about about Shakespearean language, uh, both with I, I imagine with kids, but also adults have this moment, like the first. Few scenes of any Shakespeare play that I've ever done is the audience acclimating, mm-hmm. and they get it eventually. It they don't even notice that the language is happening, but there's a, a, a transitional period. So, of course, I can see you know if adults have a difficult time acclimating, then kids who haven't don't have the uh, the widest vocabulary, mm-hmm. their ears are open, but they can't get all of it.
1: Yeah, and what's what's interesting? Because I, I agree with you entirely, and like I find that as an audience member, it takes yeah. you know even if, and I think that's that's true everyone no how much Shakespeare you do, there's still that weird moment where you're like right right okay, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. so, right, okay he's okay he's Bernard right right right. Um, but what's interesting is um, because kids kids I find generally speaking spend a lot more time around rhyming stuff than mm-hmm. they do, um, mm-hmm. and they th- they oddly they're exposed to an incredibly wide variety of sort of oral things uh, so even just like Seuss mm-hmm. we'll go back and read Seuss occasionally now like I think his adulthood yeah, so often you're like, oh man, you know, I really I feel like some hop on pop today. Yeah, um, but kids are, are being exposed to interesting rhymes and interesting uh, things, I think a lot generally speaking, a lot more than adults are. Yeah, uh, which means that on the one hand, there's a possible advantage there to going to Shakespeare because it's like, oh, okay, this is weird, but I listen to weird stuff all the time, of course. Yeah, but you're absolutely right about the vocabulary. And one of the things I try and do without screwing up the language too much is if there's a word that I'm like. No, uh, and I know there's yeah. that great trick of like if the actor's intention fits, like great, but you know swapping out little things that kids will get, yeah. which works ninety percent of the time, and then ten percent of the time they're just distracted because Hamlet's talking about Hogwarts, yeah, Hogwarts, yeah, and like it was like you know the, the record skips and everyone in the bar turns and looks at the door and of you're course. like sorry, yeah, Shakespeare, don't worry about it, like,
0: um. You guys are doing uh, Shakey Shake at the Fringe this summer. Fringe this summer. Yeah. Do you have you decided which Shakespeare you're doing? So
1: I uh, I have a, a habit. I'm a continuity nut, uh, uh, and as a result, I love seeding the next play in the previous play. And um, it happened by accident the first time, but in Romeo and Juliet are like the Friars got potions. I'm like potions? Is he a wizard? Shakey Shake's like no, but I've got a great play about ah, wizards. Yes. So went into the Tempest, and then. Uh, the Tempest one was like very much less subtle and it was just literally at the end one of the characters is like that was a lot of fun maybe we can do Midsummer Night's Dream next <laughs> so Midsummer Night's Dream um, and uh, the, that one was a really deep embed just mostly for the cast but when all the characters come out to say like this is the play we're doing they're like a Midsummer Night's and then one of them just yells Hamlet and they're like uh-huh. no that's next year uh, so when I was writing Hamlet I was really stressed because it was Hamlet um, and I was like oh god I don't even know because basically Hamlet was my all the chips on the table right? oh yeah where I was, I was ready to basically like hang up my hat if it didn't fly because Romeo and Juliet worked Tempest and Midsummer are you know comedies so that's yeah. fine um, with Hamlet I was like okay I think we've earned the trust of the parents to do this we killed everyone at the end um, but we've, we spent a lot of time making sure that that was well handled but the problem part of the problem too is I was like well I don't know if this is going to work or not I, I think it will all signs point to it working but if it doesn't like I can't not even thinking ahead to the next play whereas all the previous ones I'm like oh yeah it's Midsummer Night's Dream like no one's going to have an issue with the yeah. donkey Man um, so I threw a 12th night joke in just like off, incredibly offhandedly and everyone's like oh so is that the play I'm like I don't know maybe because I'd love to do the Scottish play but like, you can't you can't go hamlet <coughs> straight into that as a children's puppet no, company no, it's just like no. ah, we're doing we all the bloody ones right in a row. Yeah. you know get a fly pack um, so, yeah, so I threw in a, a joke about Twelfth Night where, like, one of the characters is really upset at the end of the play, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, one of the other puppets comes in to comfort her, and he's like, well, let me tell you the story, like, once upon a time there were twins, and she's like, "Oh uh-huh, yeah, so, uh, so we're gonna do Twelfth Night, um, I'm pretty excited about it, uh, <laughs> I love Twelfth Night, I think it's yeah. weird, and uh, what I'm finding is the more people I tell, um, it ranks pretty high up there on people's lists of, oh, that's my favorite one, uh, which is interesting, because it's <clears throat> it's not, like, it's done a lot, but I, I don't know, it doesn't, for me, I, I don't know. It,
0: it, it, I think it's, it's done, done it. a lot, but it's not, it's not the ones that everybody thinks of. Yeah, exactly, Because right? like, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. everybody's like, oh, Romeo and Juliet, Hamlet, Macbeth. Yeah. Boom. The big three. And I've been noticing every year at Stratford, it's one of them. Yeah, um, yeah, oh, yeah. And well, then
1: and As You Like It has had a really huge resurgence, which Yeah, kind of blew my mind. Um, that's mine,
0: too, because it was like, that's my first, that's mine. Mm. That was my first Shakespeare oh, really? experience, was watching tw- Was watching Midsummer Night, no, uh, 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 As You Like, As you like-, As you like yep. It. And that was like, it blew my mind. Mm. But, um, so Twelfth Night is not one that... The average person thinks of as getting done a lot, which
1: I would I would agree with. Except that now again, I'm telling like non Shakespeare people, and they're like, "Oh yeah, Twelfth Night. That's my favorite. Huh. I've seen huh. it a bunch of times. And I'm like, how? Yeah, no, Where that's did the yeah. 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 Um, so uh, yes, yeah, so we're doing Twelfth Night. Um, I actually also did As You Like It uh, with uh, like cheeky Shake in Barry this year, uh, which was an interesting trip because I actually hate As You Like It. Like, okay, I I, I just. It's in parks. I've seen it too many times, and mm-hmm. every time, pretty much every time I've seen it, it's been. Oh man, there's a lot of Vietnam parallels. We oh, just said it during Vietnam. I've
0: seen too many of that and World War Two. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, it, and you know, know what? Every one of those is like, let's take all the comedy out of this play.
1: Which already, like, it's weird because the the serious stuff in that play is so ludicrously handled that you can't hang your like much of has some like legit darkness in yeah. it. So you can you can hang your hat on that. Or so yeah. Twelfth Night like and I'm gonna I don't know will talk more about this in a minute, but like there's some dark stuff in Twelfth Night. There's definitely dark stuff in the Tempest. Yeah. But the, the Dark Seven As You Like It, like, it's very serious. Like, the fact he's like, I'm gonna murder my brother. Yes. I came here just to fucking kill him. Yeah. Yeah, the bad guy told me to do it, but I wanted to do it anyway. Yes, yeah. He's like, that's that's some serious stuff. Yeah. And luckily, you know, he sees the forest lion attack, the European forest lion, and that changes Yes, his life. of so course, yes. Great. Um that's But... Like there's some dark stuff there and certainly Jacoby's whole like existential quandary and everything else. Yeah. Very dark. However, the solution to all of the problems in the play is just people going, like, Oh fuck it, I changed my mind. do <laughs> So if you're No, really, that's true. If you're really going with like the darker version of this play, you know it's like the end of Schindler's list being like Hitler showing up and being like, Guys, I'm really sorry. Changed my mind.
0: You know, it's funny about about that because there's the ridiculousness of that play as it's written. The thing that everybody ignores in a modern production, especially when they're focusing—it's Vietnam. It's it's thing a fucking goddess yeah, yeah, comes out and know. is like, "I'm gonna make everything okay."
1: Everybody did. Yeah,
0: and it's like, what the fuck?
1: Yeah, it's completely out of nowhere. And what what's funny about that is like, um, if. If you lean into the comedy, and uh, James Wallace did a really fun production uh, of Itberry this year, which is why I did the puppet one Mm -hmm. because I am trying to something I've been experimenting with is this idea of can I basically pop up a version of Shaky Shake for whatever play is being studied or performed, right? With the hope that you bring your kids to the matinee of the kids one, and then you go and see the adult one. know a lot of people take their kids to Stratford. Like I went to Stratford as a kid, and it ends up being like, "Who's that?" It's like, "Oh, that's," uh, and then they. They also don't know. Yeah. The program like, Prospero, that's Prospero. Rather than, who's that? That's the blue one. Oh, the blue one, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was interesting because I it, I, I had, like, I found the love of As You Like It through mm-hmm. working hmm. on it, obviously, like, yeah. and, and figuring out how it works. Um, but yeah, and if you go with the comedy, if you lean into the fact that a god shows up on a zip cord... There's a lot of fun, and like, yeah. uh, there's a, obviously all the Phoebe stuff. Like, I I would watch a play about Phoebe and Sylvia's. Oh, well, I mean, Fucking that's, a that's, heartbeat.
0: the thing about, like, those scenes, the Phoebe and Sylvia scenes are kind of like the mechanical scenes in yeah. Summer. They're your gimme. Oh, yeah. Like, if you do the, like, that's the, we didn't get you with that, here comes the stuff that'll get you. it's like, you just sort of roll those Absolutely. guys out, and it's like, the audience will be with you
1: yeah and just fun like great writing fun stuff great female parts which is also always nice to find yeah um, but yeah absolutely so yeah when you try and drain all of it out and do a war version it's like wait but you've got like you've got this ridiculous lady and this ridiculous dude running around like yeah no yeah. like yeah yeah all the world's a stage is a beautiful tragic speech but man there's a lot of fun stuff going yeah there on is there's, him, a a yeah. Like, there's a lot of fun stuff it's a very loving play yeah there's a lot of love at its core, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, but in any case, so um, with yeah, I was kind of surprised that twelfth night ranked. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I didn't put in As You Like It, which I, I in retrospect needed to, which I found in Hamlet, which was actually really stressing me out, was this idea of in, in our Hamlet, they do you're not to be, of course, because
0: you, know, mm-hmm. you have to.
1: Um, and, uh, Zip turns to Shakes and is like, wow, it's a really beautiful speech, but what does it mean? And Shake Shake's basically like, well, that's something people have been arguing about for years and like, I don't have the answer and no one out there has the answer. Like you have to figure out what it means for you and that's that. Mm-hmm. And Zip is like, wow, like I'm a kid, like no one's ever asked me what I thought about art. Because I found that was, you know, that's often true of kids. They're just told They get told a lot, this yeah. This is how it is. This is how it is. Why? Well, because this, um... And that really hit people, like, people really, really connected to that. And so what I'm trying to find in each one I do now is that, like, kind of one heart Mm, moment. And in Twelfth Night, uh, my favorite character in Twelfth Night is Malvolio. I think Malvolio is a fucking fantastic Mm -hmm. part, but also a real tragic ending. Yeah. And it gets, and a lot, like, happily Shakespeare wrote in that, like, Escape hatch of like, oh, go find Malvolio and make sure everything's okay. Like, okay, yes, go yeah, make yeah, things yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, which is good because it means if you don't really want to dwell on how terrible their treatment of them was, you don't have to. Yes. Yeah. Which is good because really everyone else, you know, it worked out real well <clears> for <throat> everybody, everybody else. else yeah. Um, but it's weird because, you know, it's almost the same structure as Shrew or, or mm-hmm. Shrew, um, Merchant or any of these places where yeah. it's like one person just gets fucking ostracized and booted out. And our characters are okay, so we're happy, but like someone is destroyed. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, the the punchline uh, on Twelfth Night for this is because I was trying to think about like, well, what where kids? If I'm a kid watching this right now, with bullying being such mm-hmm. a thing, I I don't know. I'm gonna have a hard time pointing and laughing at Malvolio the way it's intended. No, that's true. Because in this in this incredibly bullying aware society we've got going right now, it's gonna be hard to just be like ah yeah yeah. <laughs> So um so that's gonna be a, the the kind of part we sit in on this one He's hmm. Shaky Shake kind of being like the the gag is that Shaky Shake is playing Malvolio. Okay. And uh they hit the end of the play and everyone's happy and he's kinda of like guys, I think I got this wrong. Like this feels <laughs> terrible. It's it's like uh, hmm. the that gag from The Simpsons where Nelson like points at last at himself in the mirror, and he's like, Oh, that really hurts. Yeah. Like, no wonder no yeah. one comes to my birthday party. Um but uh yeah, and like we're gonna do um, We've got a great gag for the twins. Mm-hmm. Uh, the conceit is that Zip uh, has a twin sister named Zap, who is another whatnot Muppet, uh-huh. who's exactly the same, just with a longer hair. So the joke is that Zap has come to visit, but none of them know that Zap has come to visit. So Zap is playing the part in the play, and they're all like, Zip, you're doing a great job. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm not even in the <laughs> again. Like, Sebastian hasn't shown up yet. And they're all yeah. like, oh yeah, whatever. Oh, yeah. there's some method. And then the big punchline at the end is the other puppet comes out. And yeah. hopefully the audience is also on board with what... Like, yeah. This is just the same puppet in a wig, but the yeah. beautiful thing about having prefabricated things is you can make multiple versions
0: of That it. is very true. So, yeah, it's it should true. be fun. It's should yeah. be fun.
1: Uh, I think we're going to end it with Gilligan's Island. Uh, it's going to be our, our big final song. Well, so. why not? Yeah, lots
0: of fun. Um, so you you mentioned the, the, the a TED Talk.
1: Yeah, yeah um we uh it should be on youtube soon actually. okay did you uh, just like
0: did you actually give that talk this yeah weekend? We
1: did, yeah so uh kat sandler and i gave uh, we were invited to give a talk at uh tedx youth toronto which hmm. is going th- for about five years now uh, it's great they they uh rent out the um sonic temple that used to be where uh, MTV was MTV and yeah, electric yeah, yeah. so you're yeah. on the electric service stage which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, it was it was a tremendous honor and, like, one of those things that, like, I secretly always wanted to do. Oh, well, like, yeah. Along it came. I was like, oh, shoot, like, let's do it. Yeah. Afterwards, they're like, hey, uh, we're thinking of getting some T-shirts printed. Do you want one? I'm like, you're fucking right, I want a T-shirt. <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to wear that to sleep. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was great. So, um, and just a, like, tremendously powerful lineup. Of, like, it felt really weird being included with some of the people who were mm. up there because, like, there were some really, really things. um there's a gentleman whose name escapes me right now which is terrible but he's the guy who invented the stopgap which uh, okay. is over toronto and it's basically it's an incredibly simple solution to um a step accessibility yeah. uh so it, yeah he's a guy in a wheelchair he's an engineer and he was like i i hate inconveniencing people to like put out a ramp and he's like and i get that every building can't rip out their stairs but if it's one step here's a wedge yeah it's just fucking brilliant. It's yeah. Just brilliant piece of incredibly so anyway so i was like completely fanboyed out of this guy right like, oh my god but um anyway so uh let's nor there. um so yeah Ken and i were there to talk about uh um, creating theater for the hbo generation which is the what we when we started Bruhaha what we dubbed our target audience which is young professionals and talking a lot about what we we talked about right off the top of this podcast mm-hmm. about you know why what makes a live event matter mm-hmm. um and the theme of, of uh, the talk was switch. So they were like, you know, switching your mindset, just making a little mental shift. And the thing was, we were fully aware that the people listening weren't people listening and watching weren't all theater people. Right. The majority of them aren't. So we didn't want to get up there and just be like, here's how art works. Yes, and of course. And yeah. like, fuck these guys. Um, And so our big message was about audience. And Mm -hmm. that's both my dramaturgical practice, my day job as a communications consultant, is all about making sure that we're taking audience into account when we're doing things. So Mm -hmm. similarly with Shakey Shake, like taking into account the idea that we're not just doing Shakespeare for Shakespeare's sake, we're doing Shakespeare because these kids need to get it before uh, it comes along. Yeah. Uh, And similarly with Bruhaha, our idea of, you know, we're looking at our friends and like, well, why aren't these guys going to theater? And generally it's the things we talked about off the bat. They don't want to spend a hundred dollars, spend four hours in a dark room watching something they barely understand or like. Yeah. Um, what they do want is something that enhances their evening. So, you know, we, we took, um, and so we basically like covered the, the history of the brief history of the company, but through this lens of, we realized that, um, there were parts of theater that weren't working for the audience that we'd identified, so we tried to think about them and then restructure how we worked based mm-hmm. on them, which I think is valuable for anything. Really. Absolutely, um, absolutely. But yeah, but it was great. It was a tremendous experience mm-hmm. and super cool. We were both super <laughs> nervous and super sick, so we like got completely off track. But there were two of us, so it was funny. Cause half half the comments out it was like someone coming up afterwards being like, "I can't believe you learned all those lines." Yes, yeah, were like, yeah, yeah, It was funny because like half of people were like, "Oh man, great message!" I have like. Wow! Like you guys covered so well. Your your you know repartee is so good because there was literally a moment where I turned to Kat and we had like a slideshow going and we were way off track because I'd skipped a transitional thing mm-hmm. and I was like, just you know, like, oh, man, we are we are really off track. She's like, don't worry, you can get us back. And just took us back up. And she's, <laughs> and she's like, help. I was like, gotcha. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a blast. It, it yeah. is terrifying. Uh, mm-hmm. Can't bring up notes. Uh, no, no, which, I'm, I've
0: always noticed that like it's a note free
1: because they want to be as natural and, and so yeah. from, from your voice uh, mm. as you can which is which is great uh, and it does mean that you cock it up occasionally but yeah. uh, it does also mean that it is mm. more casual particularly for youth like yeah. you know yeah. and, and there's there's this inclination to lecture at teenagers absolutely um, or this you know well listen you know I'm just like, I'm hip uh, like yeah, you, yeah, you know? Hip, yeah. yeah. And so our, our thing was more, you know, we, we tried to skirt that line of like, look, we, we, we think we've identified some of the things that you like. And if you're basically our, our line is like, if you're like us, mm-hmm. then this, yeah. you'll binge watch Netflix, you'll do this, you'll do this rather than you do this. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. the second someone goes, oh, I don't, it's like, oh fuck. We're yeah, exactly. Like yeah. I, yeah. I, but yeah, it was, uh, it was super cool. And, um, Awesome. Terrifying. <laughs>
0: now, now, we've mentioned Cat. You've mentioned Brouhaha. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, did you first... Uh, when when did you and Cat Sandler uh, form Theatre Bruhaha Or we, did uh, it happen like that? We
1: formed Brouhaha in 2011. Mm-hmm. Late 2010 early 2011, I think. Somewhere
0: in there. What was the first play of the... Uh, um, Love, Sex, Money. Love, Sex, the Money. Right. Play, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and it... It started for two reasons. Um... I was, uh, I was doing my master's at U of T at the time, um, which was like a one year program, super fast, very kind of, had a bit of a dramaturgical bent, so it's kind of that mindset, and mm-hmm. Kat was basically trying to, um, she was trying to pass two plays off in a one play contest, so she's like, I'm submitting to this contest that needs a like, one act play, I have these two short plays, and I'm wondering if I could just submit those, because like, mm-hmm. life wise, yeah. and they have similar themes, so she was like, can you come over and take a look? So, uh, I was looking at these things, I'm like, well, if you make this character this character, like, if you make this guy the same guy, yeah. and this girl the same girl, then it's the same, it, it's one, it's a continuous play, there's just a, a beat in the middle. Right. Um, and Kat and I worked together on a bunch of stuff when we were, we were in school, and so it was an easy transition, and what was particularly helpful was knowing, knowing her personally very well made dramaturging a lot easier, because there were things that I was like, well, this, is, this isn't a character talking, this is just you, this is your right. Name. It's okay if the character has that opinion, but Victim and Cat's extraordinarily good, uh, like almost to a fault, about letting people into her process, Mm -hmm. which uh, means that a and her philosophy and and our company philosophy has always been the more the more brains we have on a thing, chances are the better it's going to be. Mm -hmm. There's no sense in being precious about like, no, I need complete authorship. I need you know, yeah, yeah, this is my baby. It's, it's the audience thing right? it doesn't
0: actually get you anywhere to, be, to, to shut well, everybody out and
1: there are there are, there are all those times you need to like put your foot down and be like no this is like we, uh, we got into an argument um, early we, we do readings all the time mm-hmm. in the process um, and uh, it, was, it was great but we basically were reading a play that didn't have an ending yet mm-hmm. I knew what the ending was but it wasn't written and it was very informative it was, I was very early in my process it's a very young dramaturg mistake we were like hey how do you guys think it ends and it set off a fucking shit storm Mm-hmm. People, and it was great. because people were really passionate about like how it ought to end, right um, but the danger in that of course, is you start looking at your own end and being like, "Oh God, should I get it
0: right? Yeah, yeah. no, totally. And, um,
1: which really i had uh, had been with uh, Hamlet this year actually as well, where I asked the cast like should we have a song?" it was really interesting mm. we were a very, very tight, yeah cast, but it, we, there was like a line straight down the room. half people were like, we need the song that's supposed to fight a part a piece other half was like, no, absolutely not, it cheapens the whole thing, and then we found a, like, a nice mid-ground, but as a writer, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, anyway, so, um, Love, Sex, Money was our first uh, our first piece, and um, it was called Love, Sex, Money, because we, uh, the model we took was uh, Kat's sister's douchey ex-boyfriend, and we're like, what gets this guy, because we we'd never seen this guy in the theater, like, He's, he represents an archetype that we, we really like. <laughs> We're like, this guy never fucking goes. Why? Right. What does he like? <laughs> well, he likes sex, he likes money, he probably wants love. So we went pretty uh, pretty literal on the on the first go. But we it, using a model of, of an actual audience member was mm-hmm. super helpful. Hmm. We, we want that young professional who's just starting out, starting to form their cultural habits, who finally has money to spend on, on luxury and lifestyle as well as necessities, and basically, you know, it's like uh, people who just graduate from school, moving to their first place in the city, and like, maybe, they're like, you know what, I always told myself when I got my first real job, like, I would get a season, or I'd go see an opera. I've never seen an opera, I'm going to go see whatever, and we're like, we need to get in there now, rather than 20 years from now, being like, hey, theater's relevant, please come. Like, we want to hop in there. The thing is that, and so... Our, our TED Talk was about the age of content, mm-hmm. and basically, we're in the age of content right now. So, if we're asking you to leave your house, leave thirteen hours of Netflix, video games, the internet, movies, whatever, and come to our theater, like we have to be providing something that that speaks directly to you. Absolutely, it can't yeah. Cool for us, it has to be yeah, cool for you. So that's the the model we took. It was like, okay, well, what's someone who to I me, mean, if you go to bands, like I have friends who I can say to you like, "Hey, there's this band I heard is good. Mm-hmm. They're playing down the street at a bar, ten dollar cover. Are you in?" They're like, "Yeah, absolutely." As opposed to, "Hey, my friends in a show is down the street, at the storefront. It's ten bucks." want I go, ah, I don't know.
0: Yeah, that's 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 a funny thing. The audience is this funny thing. We have uh, people, some people have it in their head that not just that it's like that's my whole night gone, but that it's an unpleasant experience either financially or. Or something, yeah. something else. I think you know, we've seen lots of depictions in the media of somebody went to a horrible play or whatever. But well, yeah. people are unwilling to, in a lot of cases, to get out and well, go.
1: And something that we <clears throat> and Kat hit on this when we were working on the TED Talk that I hadn't even thought of, but it's absolutely true, is <clears throat> a lot of people will say, well, we've heard a lot of... Um, I went to a play once and I didn't like it. Mm. I don't like theater. Right. Which would be the equivalent of saying I listened to a Kanye song. I didn't like it. I hate music. Like it's just. I
0: watched a TV show once. It wasn't very good. I'm not going to watch any more of done that. With that thing. Yeah. The whole thing was that, you know. Yeah. I,
1: I tried a carrot once. Didn't care for it. No vegetables for the rest. Of my yeah. Life. Yeah. Like, and it's it's certainly not a conscious thing people do, but yeah, that shit happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So part of it was, and it's our, everything from our, and one of the reasons that Bruhaha has been so successful, other than, you know, Kat being a tremendously quick and talented uh, Mm writer-director, is that we've, since day one, we we committed to running a business, not just a show. Hmm. And I think uh, one of the, the pitfalls of starting a company, a theater company, is not, is considering the show, not the company that has to survive around
0: the show. Yeah. Was so, that a conscious decision? Yeah. Did you guys come up with that at the same time, or did you want to do a show,
1: and then... No, we... Uh, that was very conscious. Uh, <clears throat> so, we both run theater... Kingston's a great town for for building theater companies, and at Queen's Cat, I both run theater companies. Mm-hmm. She'd done a lot of productions through the department, as well as ones that she'd run. Um, I ran several companies, one of which basically evolved into Shaky Shake mm-hmm. there, and what I found very instructive there was... Um, it, Kingston's a beautiful town for theaters, it's like... People just show up. They just fucking come to your shows. Mm. It's crazy. Um, just people from the town will just like show up and you know, you pay their $10 and, and watch your production of, you know, Never Swim Alone or whatever. Right. And like, it's crazy. So, what's, what's interesting with that, what I noticed a lot, was that people start a company and they're like, okay, I'm doing Death of a Salesman, let's say. So, I'm going to call it the Death of a Salesman Theater Company. Presents Death of a Salesman. Great. And holy shit, we made a bag of money. And people keep saying, what are you going to do next? Well, I haven't thought of that. I, mm-hmm. all, all I knew is that I have a childhood dream to be Willie Loman, so I made a company so I could do that, and I did that. But now I'm holding a sack of dough, and I don't know what to do with it, and my company is called the fucking Death of Salesman Collective, so I can't then be like, Death of the Salesman Collective presents Sound of Music. Yes, like, yeah, 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 really yeah. Um, so, yeah, because we'd had that experience when we, when we made Bruhaha, we're like, okay, so we, we're going to think about the company as much as the show. Mm-hmm. Um, because we and at that point we weren't like oh yeah so for the next one we were fully focused on that that first production and you know whether it works or not but we also wanted to make sure that our business practices were sound and in terms of the first show what that meant was things like this needs to look mm-hmm. slick like no matter how cheap it is it needs to look very very slick I don't and think we see enough of that in
0: indie theater I think yeah. <clears throat> I think a lot of times it looks cheap
1: yeah absolutely and and part of that is is realizing like. If you can't build it effectively, don't. Yes. Which is yeah. which is weird because the, the instinct is always like, well, you know, I'm pretty sure I can make flats that look enough like a house.
0: Print? Chances are you can. Or just
1: don't do that. And you like, probably don't need it. Like, yeah, exactly. A no, lot of right. times,
0: a lot of times, an empty stage can be more effective than uh, a crappy set. Well,
1: and so part of our audience brain exactly is that if my, my big litmus test because basically the way I, the way my dramaturgical practice works is I try and be the first audience member. In, in the development mm-hmm. script but in everything because essentially what I'm trying to root out is uh, noise like mm-hmm. strengthen the signal reduce the noise and part of the noise for me is if I'm sitting there going, like, damn that looks cheap yes I'm not listening to you you could be delivering the most perfect you know monologue that's ever been written but and there are a number of factors that you can't control I can't control how your night's been going outside mm-hmm. of the theater experience uh, I can't control how comfortable or uncomfortable the seats are generally yeah because that just goes to territory I can't control your digestion based on what you ate or drank before the show. What I can do is ensure that as much as many distracting factors are reduced as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's that's part of it. So yeah, if I can't convincingly do blank, what workarounds do we have that yeah. will prevent you from just stopping and unplugging my what? Yeah. And that's true of the script as well. If someone says or does something um, that kind of makes you go like, uh, uh, rape is often a thing That just gets Like dropped Thrown through. in Like just like, uh, just like uh, The the term I This is kind of terrible but The term I've started using Is the rape Kool-Aid man Because for my mind Rape is like the Kool-Aid man When you say When a character has Talked about rape in a play It's like the Kool-Aid man Bursts through a wall And the audience goes like Oh my god The Kool-Aid man And if you yeah. just drop it And never deal with it again We're still aware That the fucking Kool-Aid man yes. is here. Like Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Place Where I'm like Are we never going to address The fact that this rape happened Yeah um, and, again, as an audience member, I'm gone. Oh, yeah, Because I'm just thinking yeah. about that. Um, even a play like Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, when Ross, the first time they say the leads, I don't know what the fuck the leads are. I don't know what that is. I mean, yeah. Man, it never bothers to stop and <clears throat> explain, because at the time, it was a known parlance. But, again, that's the kind of thing where my brain just goes, wait, what? Yeah, and yeah. I'm out. So we're very conscious of that, that sort of thing. Uh, but also advertising, because, to my mind, the first, your first exposure to a play isn't when the curtain goes up. It's the minute you hear about it, whether mm-hmm. that's the press release, postcard, word of mouth, whatever. So, we want to control that as much of that experience as we can. Um, so, we look to things like HBO. Uh, and we've always spent a lot of time and money trying to craft the, propr- the appropriate image to tell a story, get mm-hmm. you excited, and basically convey to you, like, this is the kind of vibe you're in for. Um, because, again, that, that's the danger, right? Like, with so much content available to me. If I'm not... It's terrible, but the, the don't judge a book by its cover thing in this age doesn't count anymore. No, because we were always judging books by their the covers. And many damn books. Yeah. So you have to look at yeah. the cover. And we're, we're in an age where it's so easy to make a good-looking book cover. Similarly, we're in an age where there's so many digital tools for manipulating images, for creating fonts, mm-hmm. even. Like, it's insane. So... You know all of those factors when we're at work and continue to be at work in the company. And I think that's one of the reasons why our branding is, is consistent and people yeah. are able to go even just visually like that looks like a Bruhaha thing, right? Which is great because we we want um, the the general the general conceit I've been playing with is the like uh, it's like a Coen Brothers movie. You may not like every Coen Brothers movie, but you're like oh it's Coen Brothers, so yeah. I you know I'm okay. gonna give it a shot. But you know, I know a bunch of people hate *Burn After Reading*, but love *No Country for Old Men*. Those are two violently different films. Yeah. But you're still like, well, I if I like this, the, I like these content creators, so I'll go to whatever they do, and yeah. I'll pick my favorites and leave the rest from there. Perfect. Um, but yeah, so the business, the business angle was definitely there from day one, and it goes into the script as well. Mm-hmm. The, when creating a script, it isn't just, "This is a neat idea. Let's let's just pop this up." It's, you know, why why this, why uh-huh. now, what's interesting about it, what what are the big hooks, hmm. what's the... I mean, the elevator pitch is one of the first things we come up with after initial script ideas. Right. Um, because, if, again, if we can't hook you with a tweet-length, like, elevator yeah. pitch, there's just too much content.
0: Absolutely, know? yeah. You mentioned almost off the top that um, you had a blog and a podcast <laughs> that have been dormant, but that are coming back. Yes. Can you... What, Let's uh, just share those. Absolutely. With, with I'd love
1: to. Uh, so, I run a <coughs> new blog called wahoppen.ca, mm-hmm. which is. Um, I'm, a, I'm a classics nut. Uh, I took a degree in classics, and I love mythology. And I realized uh, a friend of mine lent me a bunch of comic books, uh, and I got back huge. and I got, went on a buying binge, just bought a fuck ton of comics. But mm-hmm. what was interesting was um, we were arguing about Superman. I was like, Superman's garbage. He's like, no, Superman's really interesting. Read these three. And I read them, and what started to strike me was that, much like mythological heroes, um, from you know myth, legend, fairy tale, everything else, there were certain factors that had to be true of these characters. And it was just like, you know, the Greeks coming up with endless stories about Hercules being like, "Oh man, and then there's this time where Hercules did this." Um, where characters like Batman, like Spider-man, the X-Men, all, like all these characters that we really, we identify like these are the fundamental tenets of this character enough that we would be like that. No, that doesn't. No, we can't. Mm-hmm. We can't have that. You can't have Batman shooting people with a gun, like, uh, unless it's you know pulpy nineteen thirties Batman who right. killed a lot of people. <laughs> um, but so I started examining that and just sort of digging into um, nerd things that I found mm. interesting. Uh, so I did a what turned out to be an extraordinarily long essay on uh the resident evil films Mm -hmm. um and analyzing the game comparison game to film but also (coughs) the weirdness of how continuity obsessed that series is Mm. like it remembers its own history so fucking well which is weird because as a continuity nut that's a thing that always bugs me yeah films like you don't remember what happened two films ago like fuck you those films are like no, no, no. Six films ago, Michelle Rodriguez said this, and then we brought her back mysteriously, and she's going to say that line again. I was like, good, yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. You. <clears throat> um, so that um, I did a whole, uh, whole Ben Affleck Batman thing back mm. in the day. Part of it also is that because I end up consuming a lot of media, um, I can often answer questions that people have. like my friends like when Bane was announced as the villain for Dark Knight Rises, people were like, "Why the fuck is Bane?" Because they all they remember Bane from was <coughs> Batman and Robin as this big dumb stupid character, and after Heath Ledger Joker it's like this is what you're giving me. Yeah, yeah. So I wrote a whole thing like here's why this character is amazing and where his place in the comics is and blah blah blah. Uh, and the most recent one is about uh, the new Fantastic Four film, uh, which so much has already great material has already been written about. But for me, um, I wanted to approach it from the perspective of the the gritty superhero filter that we seem to just be slapping wholesale on movies and it yeah. doesn't fit every movie and particularly the Fantastic Four is such a bright colorful adventure and like, I don't like the Fantastic Four I don't read the Fantastic no. Four but this film is such a weird version of that so the uh, funny
0: thing is that I don't read the Fantastic Four either but I know when it's I like I know the Fantastic Four yeah. and I know when I see the Fantastic Four you know it's like yes that's right no that's wrong
1: absolutely and that's to my mind that's why like one of one of the, the headings on the, the <clears throat> website is modern mythology. So mm-hmm. it's exactly that. It's yeah. like we, there are things, even if you don't, I, I always liken it to parents being like, oh yeah, uh, Wolverine, he's the guy with the claws, right? Yeah. It's like there are yeah. certain things that we know, and no matter what your version is, you know, there's people whose Batman is Adam West. And like, when you say Batman, they see Adam West. like, how? Yeah. Pow. yeah. They're like, holy hole in a donut, Batman. Yeah. Um, there are people, I think, like, growing up in the 90s Batman cartoon, like, that's my Batman. Yeah. He's, you know, Kevin Conroy, Mark Hamill. Mm-hmm. That. You have people now where their Batman is Christian Bale. You have yeah. You people arguing about the new uh, Batman versus Superman film, insisting that it's in the same universe as the Christopher Nolan films, because they just can't let go. They of, can't let go of the, yeah. Of their Batman. Yeah. So, um... Anyway, so uh, that's uh, that's that. Uh, so I bring that back for a while. I was doing an advice column as well, where people would be like, "What the fuck is Magic the Gathering? Why do people spend money on it?" I was like, no, we'll tell you. Um, but I realized that there were far easier resources for that. So, yeah. yeah. So it's mostly digging into that. So uh, Fantastic Four is going up uh, next week, and then the next one I'm doing is on um, the the weird summer we've had of films, and Force Awakens is kind of a nice mm. capstone to it. Yeah. But. Over the course of this previous summer, we saw a really interesting trend in remakes, sort of like soft reboots, and sequels that are also remakes. Uh-huh. So it's basically an examination of uh, Terminator Genesis, Jurassic World, yeah. Vacation, and now I'm going to attack Star Wars on the end. Mm-hmm. Because, like, Vacation was a sequel that also basi- it basically did the Force Awakens thing. It's a sequel that also kind of rehashes the original film right. for a new audience, but is still in the continuity of the previous right. films. You get Terminator Genesis, which just completely redoes the first two films in its own new continuity to try and bring audience in. Yeah. Just kind of like the the. And then you've got the, the I guess we'll probably touch on Star Trek as well. You've got the J.J. Abrams like alternate universe thing, where it's like, okay, yeah. like don't worry, your stuff is fine. Here's an alternate universe where all this is happening. So yeah. don't worry, because con- of course, you know,
0: Star Trek continuity stuff is like, no, 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 you can't touch my stuff. Oh man, I was furious. I actually yeah.
1: spent like half that first movie being like, wait a minute, did you fuck with my next generation? Yeah, yeah. Like, you get out. Yeah. You get out of here. Get out of this room. Get yeah. the yeah. shit out of here. And then later it's like, no, no, it's an alternate universe. We're good. We're good. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, that's that's that side of things. And then the podcast uh, I run with my wife. It's called uh, Please Sir. I want some more. And it's a sequels podcast. Okay. So uh, I was listening to a lot of podcasts and um, being a continuity nut, one of the things I find really interesting is sequels and what what makes, it was specifically what you wanted coming out of a film, a first film, and what you got, I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. I've argued with friends when, particularly when I was a kid, like I was really excited about sequels as opposed to now. And I'm like, oh God, really? Yeah, yeah. Really? Like Toy Story 3 is perfect. I don't need more. Please don't bring this to me. And I'm, you know, fingers crossed Toy Story 4 is great, but... Really, I we got ours.
0: There right? are some films that have that have come out. I'm like, okay, they're making a sequel for that. I can't wait to see that sequel. And a lot of times, you're like, oh, there's going to be a sequel for that. Eh.
1: Well, even the ones that you're really excited for. But one of the, the phenomena that we, we examine a bit is like you start to formulate in your head what you think the next story. Will right. Be, yeah. What you, you know, what's there, what can be teased out, what further things can. We be.
0: also have this culture on the internet where there's like there are websites that's what they do yeah absolutely you know and there's a trailer let's what can we tease out from the trailer with the end of the movie what can we tease out from that it's a never never ending
1: thing yeah uh well speaking of never ending our next one is the never ending story part two uh but yeah is there
0: a never ending story part two yeah and part three what 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 oh my god so did uh, i did these actually come uh, out and i never knew
1: yeah but uh, yeah uh so the, the story on never ending story two was the first one came out uh, huge success, obviously, yep. but also a foreign film, which a lot of people don't know. So the, that they, the, the next one they made in, I think, in the U.S., completely different cast. Uh, weirdly, it's more true to the book hmm. than the first film was. But it's, and uh, you can find out all about it on the podcast. But it is like it, it's literally like the first film didn't happen. Hmm. And what's really strange is, and it was a perfect example of like, what did you think you were going to get? What did you actually get? Yeah. So if you'll remember, at the end of the first film. Bastion the little boy who's been reading the book gets Unlimited Wishes and he can play around in uh, whatever the world is. As far as long as he wants and he ends up riding Falcorn, and scaring his bullies. And so I was like, okay, well the sequel logically then like Narnia would be that gap that we don't see where he's like fucking around doing whatever he wants. No, second film starts off. It's like nothing, it's like no one remembers that anything happened. Um, He goes into the book and it's this crazy thing where our hero from the first book uh, Atreyu is basically just second banana sidekick suddenly it's like the story of the little boy running around it's it's a train wreck it's wow. a fucking ghastly film wow. and the third one is they come into our world and it stars Jack Black and it is a train oh, wreck Jesus. Um, but it's so it's such a strange film mm. and it was, it was a blast it was yeah. a blast in my and what was weird was my wife watched it as a kid so her experience of it violently different from mine watching it both of them for the first time mm. Like last month, oh. um, so yeah, so that's like the kind of stuff we dig into, uh, and basically, you know, we talk about what we liked and didn't like, what we expected, what we got, uh, which is always fun because it's, it's a lot of times being like, this is what the producers or writers of this film thought we wanted more of, hmm. really. Hmm. Um, Parts of the Caribbean, we did uh, the second one really early on, and like that fil- that series is a the first three anyway, it's a fascinating look at producers going like, oh, you like this have more, you know, it's like, yeah, yo yeah, dog, yeah. I heard you like Jack Sparrow, so I put some Jack Sparrow on your Jack Sparrow. And yeah. And you're like, uh, yeah, I guess, or, yeah. you know, you like twists, so everyone's portraying everyone all the time, I'm like, what's up? Um, so you look at that, we look at continuity, uh, again, like the, the never ending story, one, the continuity is so mm. bonkers for the second film, because it just, it's a soft reboot, basically. Yeah. But, in continuity, and like, there's a convention in the book that they wanted in the movie, so they just, like, kind of magically retcon it in. It's a little bit like um, yeah. Jurassic Park 3 takes the book continuity yes. for Dr. Grant and Dr. Sandler's relationship, where they're not together. Yeah. Whereas the film is like, no, 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 like, we're rooting for these guys. We yeah, yeah, love yeah. these guys are together. And the third one's like, no, no, she'd to someone else, don't worry about it. Yeah. What the yeah. fuck? But in the books, like, it's weird. They, they pick up the book thread and just like this. So, hmm. that's the kind of stuff we, uh, we dig into. Um, we also just did a real fun one with the uh, folks from Shakespeare Bash. Uh, we did uh, Sex and the City 2, hmm. which is, again, a god-awful train wreck, but also a fascinating example of hmm. this is what you thought we wanted based on the series and these characters. This is the further adventure that you thought we would dig.
0: Now, when you're doing the sequels podcast, are you just watching the sequels or if you haven't seen the first one do you watch that too? I generally
1: try and watch both regardless Mm -hmm. in in large part because watching a first film knowing that you're about to analyze a sequel means that you're looking for different things. Right. Uh, So for instance um, and sometimes I haven't seen the film in years um, so it's useful but like um, Sex and the City 1 I remember I'd seen but I couldn't remember Anything about it? I can remember one or two plot points. Right, and it's weird because when I was talking to uh, Julia, who uh, was a guest on it, she had, had the same reaction. She's like, "I know I watched it, but there's nothing there. Like, mm. It's like the file doesn't exist." And then, so we rewatched it, and I was like, "Oh yeah, no, I remember the scene. Oh yeah, no, okay, yeah." So in that case, it was useful just to get like yes, yeah, that. Uh, in terms of something like the Neverending Story, I'd never seen it, so it was super useful to watch. Right, that right before going into the next one. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, it really brings sequels into harsh, mm-hmm. harsher focus when you're just going immediately from one film into the next. one. Yeah, focus. it would. It would. For for instance, like Megan was saying, as a kid, she never really noticed how different the second film feels. But when you watch *Neverending Story* one and then two, in addition to the actors being different, it's just like it nightened mm. the design. Like it. Also, the the, the effects are just. Garbage. Like, they look like <laughs> rejected '60s Doctor Who villains that they like found in a dumpster. Yeah. They're like, this'll do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. So we generally, watch both, which can be like six hours of Sex and the City films was pretty rough. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I could watch that many hours of the show and be quite content, but that many hours of the films was, was a bit of a mm-hmm. rough ride. Um, but yeah, so, um, we're having a, a lot of fun with that and okay. life got in the way, so we, uh, we went on hiatus for a bit, but, uh, yeah, we're back.
0: And that's on, bit. that's at, uh, WhatHappen.ca, what uh, which
1: is W-H-A-H-A-P-P-E-N, uh, dot C-A, and, uh, yeah, it's on iTunes and all Good. that, all that fun stuff. And are
0: you, uh, are you on, uh, Twitter? On the Twitter uh, I yet? am,
1: I'm on, uh, Twitter, at uh, McGee TD, so M-C-G-E-E-T-D, where I, uh, yeah, I go through spells where I'm, like, extraordinarily active on Twitter, and then I go through spells where I'm just lurking. Yeah, but uh, yeah.
0: Do you have a, you have an acting website as well?
1: Uh, I do. Uh, my, my personal website's tdmagee.com. I haven't updated it in a while Okay. Lazy, but uh, that is on my New Year's list of things to do. All right. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then uh, certainly theaterbruhaha.com for bruhaha stuff, and com for all things shaky-shake. Uh, we'll be remounting our Hamlet in uh, April and May as part of um, the Best of Fringe Kids. Nice. So if you feel like seeing a bunch of puppets get murdered, you can head up to Silver stage. And yeah. Check that out. And um, yeah, for Bruhaha, we've got Mustard opening. Uh, at Tarragon it's not really a Bruhaha show. But no, but it's... We, it, it's yeah. that, we, yeah. we worked on the script back in the day. But an imaginary friend. It's a desperate attempt to stay in our world and hmm. falling in love, which is kind Amazing. of... Amazing. Great. And uh, yeah. If you're in Cape Breton I'm directing a play there in February, apparently. So,
0: what are you What are you directing there?
1: Uh, it's It's a David Ives short play. Uh, collection. I literally just signed on to this in two days okay, ago, so cool. it's going to be fast and furious, but uh, pretty exciting. So it's uh, all in the timing. It's at the Highland Arts uh, Theater, which is a really cool new space that's uh it's popped up out there.
0: And that's happening in the in February 10th. Okay. So it's it's going to be that's coming It's coming up
1: fast. You know, it's all like right. tomorrow. Okay. Um but uh, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Um, it's uh yeah, it's three uh three actors who actually did punch up which is a Burhan show okay. out yeah. there um, early last year and they were like, we want to do another thing together. And so they uh, they put together this collection of plays. And hmm. Yeah, it's fun. There's all kinds of weird weird, weird stuff There's Three Monkeys on a typewriter, there's Trotsky with a pickaxe in his head. Great. It's of fun, fun stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This oh, has been great. Oh, pleasure. It's been all mine.